Our first reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 4, beginning at verse 18. It can be found on page 61 in the Church Bibles. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me go back to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the desert to meet Moses. So he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to say, and also about all the miraculous signs he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey. Sorry, I turned it. Sorry, I thought I turned over two pages. <clears throat> now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, 
why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. That day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they're crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the word harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is taken from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. It's also the same story you can find in Luke, apparently. So it's Matthew 4, verses 1 to 11, and can be found on page 967 in your church Bibles. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to make become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command the angels concerning you, and they will lift you up with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Um, And uh, we're continuing our sermon series looking at the book of Exodus. So it'd be great if you could keep your Bibles open to Exodus chapter 4 and let's pray and ask for God's help as we come to God's word. Lord, thank you that you are indeed a speaking and revealing God. Please speak to each one of us this morning through your word that we might get to know you better and live for you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm not sure if you know this, but I am a fan of football, and I particularly like Arsenal Football Club. Are there any other Arsenal fans in the house? One up there. That's great. Waving frenetically at me, which is terrific. Now, it's been a bad year if you're an Arsenal fan. We're sitting 12th in the Premier League. There's not been a great deal to cheer about. But what there is to cheer about is some of the youngsters that are coming through. And one particular youngster by the name of Gabriel Martinelli has joined Arsenal this year from the fourth division in Brazil. And he's a brilliant football player. 
He's scored 10 goals so far this season. Are any of you Portsmouth fans in the house? Anyone? No, no, there's none. There's none. Um, well, well if, if you don't yet know, Arsenal are going to play Portsmouth in the next round of the FA Cup. And mark my words, Gabriel Martinelli is a rising star. He is one to watch. He's shown us so far this year in the Premier League how good he is. Maybe you might just see that in the next round of the FA Cup. And um, this morning, here's, here's the link, here's the link. <laughs> there is a link there somewhere. Here's the link. God has shown us what he's like through the book of Exodus. And in Exodus, we learn what kind of God the God of the Israelites is like. He's shown up. He's shown us what he's like. In chapters 2 to chapter 4, we've seen that he's a God who is above every other God. He's a God who makes promises. He's a God who can be trusted. He's a God who's in control. He's a God who's present with his people and intimately involved, and he cares for his people. He's a God who can even make his enemies do his bidding, even when they're acting against him. So back in chapter 2, while Pharaoh's busy having babies thrown into the Nile, his own daughter pulls out a baby from the Nile and gives him a scholarship. And that action means that one day that baby's going to grow up to be the man Moses, and he's going to come back and haunt the Pharaohs. You see, he's a God who's in complete control, so in control that he can do this kind of cosmic judo. And so we enter this world in Exodus this morning, it's a, God of where, uh, uh, it's a world where might is right, where the strong oppress the weak. It's a world of slaves and slave masters. Last week, we were thinking about Moses and Moses' one-to-one time with God, where God revealed his name to Moses and his glory. Moses had heard from God himself and he was called by God and was going to be sent by God back to Egypt to rescue the Israelites from slavery, from wicked, wicked Pharaoh. Look with me at chapter 4, verse 29. Because news of this great plan of God had got back to God's people. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people. Presumably these are the signs that were mentioned in the early part of chapter 4. The staff turning into a snake and then back to a staff again. The hand uh, uh, turning leprous and then being restored again, and uh, the water and the blood. So the people see these signs, verse 31, and they believed. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped him. It's the textbook response, isn't it, from God's people. It's a perfect response. They bowed down and worshipped. It all looks so promising, doesn't it? And you can kind of feel the faith and the confidence rising up in Moses and Aaron as they bound up the steps, this 80-year-old and this 83-year-old, to go and face Pharaoh and go and bring the word that God had told them to bring. Chapter 5, verse 1, they go and speak to Pharaoh and they say, this is, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. What an ask. Let the people go so they can come to me. But they've got God with them. The Lord is on their side. He's told them what to say. And listen to the reply from Pharaoh. He says, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? 
I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Perhaps Moses and Aaron had overlooked what might happen to them. And now they encounter this huge ignorance from Pharaoh. That's my first point. Pharaoh is ignorant and arrogant. He doesn't know who the Lord is, verse 2. Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? Now that's a fair enough comment, isn't it? If you're the king uh, of uh, Egypt, uh, he was probably the most powerful man in the world at that time, uh, ruling the most kind of plentiful country, Egypt, in the world at that time. Pharaoh sat on the throne, looking pretty at the top of the food chain, and he's thinking to himself, why should I obey the Lord? Why should I obey him? He's ignorant. He doesn't yet know who he's dealing with. And he just had this incredible message from the creator of the universe. But the trouble is, Pharaoh, he thinks he's the creator of the universe. He thinks he's God in the world. Do we see it's a little bit like a rerun of the temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden back in Genesis 3? Do you remember when the serpent came to Eve just before she took the fruit? Uh, He said, uh, God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Here's the Pharaoh, and he's thinking to himself, this is my world. I'm going to make up the rules about what's good and right uh, in the world, and I ain't taking orders off no one. And actually, we can all play little Pharaohs in the world, can't we? We can all pretend we're gods in the world, deciding for ourselves what we think is right and wrong. I'm going to make up the rules about how I'm going to live my life, thank you very much. Do we see what's happening here? A showdown is surely going to happen between Yahweh, the God of the Bible who's making himself known, and Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt. A battle is brewing and it's going to be an incredible thing to see. Well, more on that in the weeks to come. But notice this uh, in verse 2 of chapter 5. It's God's word that makes some very big demands on Pharaoh. Here's the word. Pharaoh, give up your 600,000 strong man workforce and hand them over to me. That's quite a big ask, isn't it, for Pharaoh? Hand over all your workers. They belong to me, says the Lord. And as far as the word of the Lord is concerned, Pharaoh thinks this word isn't going to do me any good in the world. So what does Pharaoh do? Chapter 5, verse 9. He gives the order, make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to the lies. What's Pharaoh doing? He's determined to drive the word of the Lord out of the hearts and minds of his workforce. How? By making their work impossible. What's Pharaoh doing? Well, he wants his subjects to be as ignorant as he is. He wants them to be like him. He he thinks, well, if I can get on in the world, then so can these slaves. So can they too, without the Lord. And this ignorance of Pharaoh actually is a picture of ignorance in our world today. And be warned, it's not just that the people of power want to be ignorant. They want those under them to be ignorant too. You probably know this, but there are 250 million Christians 
in the world in over 50 countries being persecuted because they trust in Jesus. North Korea is the most dangerous place on the planet to follow Jesus. And uh, it's not only that Kim Jong-un, the leader of that country, is, is ignorant about the gospel. It's not just that. But he wants every single one of those in his country to be ignorant about Jesus too. And if you're a Christian in that country, you're either killed for trusting in Jesus or you're isolated and held in prison camps, forced to work for many, many hours of the day. Why? Well, Kim Jong-un wants to silence the message of the gospel. He wants to make those under his control ignorant about Jesus in the world. Well, more close to home, we hear of stories, don't we, of healthcare professionals. They're not allowed to wear crosses um, where they're working. Um, They face unfair dismissal for living out the Christian faith in the world. I read about a nurse this week who's been sacked because she gave a terminally ill patient a copy of the Bible. Maybe you know what it's like as well in your workplace. If you stand up and speak about Jesus, people not only think you're a little bit weird, but you can be treated badly in the workplace. It can be negative for you. So there needs to be real wisdom today, doesn't there, for how we stand up and what we say when we're at work. And it's worth acknowledging, isn't it, that there's pressure on us from those above us to silence God's word in God's world. So we need real wisdom for that. And ignorance is a problem. It wasn't just a problem for Pharaoh, but I think as well, maybe, I'm not sure if I can get away with saying this, but possibly Moses was a bit ignorant too. Look with me at chapter uh, 5, verse 19. The Israelite foremen realized they were in trouble when they were told, you're not to reduce the number of bricks required for you each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. You've made us a stench to Pharaoh and to his officials. You've put a sword in their hands to kill us. I'm not sure what was going through Moses' mind at this point, But the people are saying to Moses, look, you've made our lives worse, not better. What's going on here? Not a single bag's been packed. No one's leaving Egypt yet. No one's quit their job and headed out to the sunset and followed you. It's a bit of a PR nightmare, isn't it, that's going on here? And Moses seems to be smack bang in the middle of this conflict between Pharaoh and the Israelites. I'm sure he doesn't want to be there. If I was Moses, I think I'd much rather be with the sheep back in Midian. Thank you very much than endure all this. Look with me at verse 22. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought this trouble upon the people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's brought trouble upon this people. You've not rescued your people at all. God, what's going on? We've been brought out here to die. Do we see? If Pharaoh stands for a type of unbeliever, then Moses here, he stands for a believer gripped with doubts. He's lost all confidence in the Lord and in the Lord's words. Here's the key, here's the heart of the problem. Moses has not remembered what the Lord has said. He's not remembered what God has said. God had warned him that Pharaoh would not let the people go straight away. Uh, Look back with me at chapter 3, verse 19. Uh, God had told Moses, before he'd even set foot in Egypt, chapter 3, verse 19, over the page, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. 
So I'll stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, says the Lord, after that, he will let you go. You see, Moses and the people, they should have expected things are going to get worse before they're going to get better. Moses seems to be suffering from this not hearing, not remembering syndrome. God had promised he's going to act, that he would deliver the people uh, and that God's power would be on display for everyone to see so that God's name would be proclaimed in all the earth. But there's steps that need to happen for God's purposes to be fulfilled. And one of those steps, look with me at chapter 4, verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I've given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart, Pharaoh's heart, so that he will not let the people go. Isn't that a striking comment? God will harden Pharaoh's heart. What's going on there? Well, the Pharaohs were notoriously stubborn. And this Pharaoh had been brought up to view himself as a type of God. He was a man with an iron will, and he found it impossible to change his pattern of thinking. He was the one who sat firmly in the center of his world, and no one was going to tell him what to do. In the New Testament, in Romans chapter 1, we read that God gives people over. And that seems to be the case here in Exodus. God is giving Pharaoh over to the stubbornness of his heart. Pharaoh is an enemy of God. And God hardens Pharaoh's heart so that he's going to be head on with God in this collision course. But through it, we're going to see God's mighty hand in the rescue and God's glory is going to be known in all the world. And through the plagues that we're going to see in the weeks to come, we're going to see that. We're going to see God's power on display. We're going to see these signs and wonders that that God is going to work. There's going to be warnings and exhortations given to Pharaoh to turn back to God. And at each point, Pharaoh's going to reject God. It's like he's holding God at arm's length in the world. He won't let him come close. I wonder, maybe that's a challenge for us today. Are we holding God at arm's length? Are we not wanting him to come close into our world today? Well, back to Moses. Let me see if I can convince you that Moses is being ignorant in this passage. He's suffering from this not hearing, this not remembering syndrome. Look with me at chapter 4, verse 24. And you might be wondering, what on earth is all this business with a flint knife and a foreskin uh, and uh, that touching Moses' feet? It all sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? What's going on here in this? Well, God had given his people a sign that they belonged to him a physical sign on the young boys, that they were circumcised. And for whatever reason, Moses and Zipporah decided not to circumcise their son. And as it often is, it's the girls who put the boys to shame, isn't it? I don't know what may have happened to Moses if Zipporah wasn't there, acting according to the covenant, what might have happened to Moses. But but she does what needs to happen to rescue him. And I think this not hearing, this not remembering syndrome is alive and present in the church today. How often do we hear something being talked of about the Bible? One minute does it come in that it just kind of goes out, passes out the other side. And here's one particular error, I think, 
in all four of the Gospels, Jesus warns those who follow him that they will have a hard time. There's a warning, isn't there, in the Bible. If you trust Jesus, life's going to be hard. Anybody notice that when you became a Christian, life got a little bit harder? Anybody kind of notice that? And I think we're quick to forget that being a Christian is not just a bed of roses. Actually, it can be difficult. Life's not easy. Jesus promises, doesn't he? Whoever wants to come after me must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. What's the call? We're to walk the way of death. We're to walk the way of the cross. I'm sorry if you weren't told that before you became a Christian, but actually life can be really difficult. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you in John 15. So why is it that Christians are hated all over the world? Well, I think it's ignorance, isn't it? Jesus said in John 15, they will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Ignorance, ignorance in the world. Well, Moses perhaps is a picture of ignorance. Pharaoh definitely is. And I don't know how you picture kind of Moses and Aaron bounding up these steps to go and meet Pharaoh, but one grunt from Pharaoh seems to have Moses and Aaron freaking out, doesn't it? And also all of the people at the end of the chapter, they have this, we're all going to die! You know, it's a kind of crazy moment, isn't it? Chapter 5, verse 22. Moses returned to the Lord, Lord, why have you brought this trouble upon the people? We're all going to die, is this why you've sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's brought this trouble upon this people. You've run, you haven't rescued your people at all. God, what's going on? What's going on? What's God going to do? What is God going to do? Does he kind of slap Moses on the back and say, come on, old chap, you're stronger than that. Go back and see Pharaoh. Does he say, come on, put on a brave face, Moses. Does he say, think of all your gifts and your abilities. Does he say, rely on your education. Pull out your what would Pharaoh do textbook. No, none of that. What does God say? The reminder is about the word of God. The solution for Moses is God's word. We're to remember what God has said. We're to look again at God's promises and see what God has said. Pharaoh's ignorance, Moses' ignorance, and the solution is knowing and believing the word of God and God's plan for his world. We're to have the warnings in place. I'm not sure how you've noticed, but warnings on cigarette packets have got a lot worse, haven't they? They used to say things like, smoking may damage your health. Now they say things like, smoking kills. They're graphic warnings, aren't they? There's a danger to be avoided. We're to get the warning firmly in place, for there is a judgment to come. One day, there is a judgment to come where all God's enemies will be fully and finally overthrown. And you and I need to be rescued from that coming judgment. And there is a saviour. It's not Moses. It's the Lord Jesus who we need to turn to to rescue us from that coming judgment. And now you and I are called to know God and to know his plans. For as we know God and know his plans, that is the only way in which you and I can stand up under the suffering and hardship we may well face for being a Christian. Well, as we look back to this warning 
And as we look back to the great rescue of the Israelites from Egypt, we can also look back to the cross, can't we? We can see God's great rescue, not over a physical slave master, but over the slave master of sin. Jesus has rescued us. There's great joy for us today in knowing God and his plans. And one day those hardships will all be over. Amen. Be a great day, won't it? Be a great day. The Bible says a day is coming when everything will be made new. Everything will be made new. When the hand of God himself will brush across your cheek and wipe away any tear from your eye. There'll be no more pain or persecution, no more prison camps or put-downs for God's people on that great day. It's going to be amazing. God is going to usher in his kingdom, and all the glory and honor of the nations are going to be brought into the city of God. And you and I, who trust in God's promises, will bound to face. We're going to come face to face with the living God. His name's going to be on our foreheads, and we'll be called his people forever. Well, hear the warning. Don't get shipwrecked now. Don't have this not remembering, not hearing syndrome. Because the way now is suffering through to glory. That's the way of the cross, isn't it? Jesus suffered and then entered into glory. So will we. How do you and I keep going this year? Anticipate hardships. Suffering may well come. But keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and yearn for that great day when Jesus will be fully and finally revealed. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for our rescue from the penalty and power of sin over us. Please enable us to keep our eyes fixed on you in 2020 and enable your people to endure hardships for Jesus' namesake we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.